I'll ask you to turn with me to Luke 14. If you have your NIV Bibles with you or turn in our bulletin insert, we'll use this as a unison reading together. Uh, the first 14, chap- 14 verses, I should say, of chapter 14. And let us read the Word of God together. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, Move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors, If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." Do you ever think about how we get ourselves noticed? The great pains we take sometimes to make sure that we're noticed by others. It was the pioneer psychologist William James who said that we have an inborn desire to get ourselves noticed and noticed favorably. Now, I used to believe that, but I think in our day and time, it's just to get ourselves noticed, whether favorably or not. It kind of reminds me of a conversation I once read about between two college students. One of them was saying to his friend, and ladies, I'm sorry, I'm using a baseball analogy, was saying to his friend, you know, if I had my way in life, I'd play third base for the New York Mets. 
And his friend said, why third base? He said, well, just think about it. It's a Sunday afternoon. There are about 60,000 fans in the stadium. The bases are loaded. The Mets are out in the field on defense. And we're playing someone like the Atlanta Braves and Chipper Jones steps up to bat. And he hits a, a double into left center and two runs score, and they throw the ball to me to hold up the third runner, and I just stand there with the ball, and the third runner scores, and even Chipper Jones crosses the plate for a grand slam. Can you imagine 60,000 people screaming, you dummy, you idiot? He said, what recognition? You know, we can be classified by the pattern we develop for getting ourselves noticed. We're either the type that holds the ball or, the, or we're the type that throws it to home plate. And those who hold the ball are part of the problem and really burden the church and society in general, whereas those with a positive response bless society and make the church a better place and a better example in the world. Now, this normal inborn desire for significance finds greater satisfaction when we link ourselves to a significant cause. And the reason we've been talking about this is because I think that's part of what Jesus is trying to teach these Pharisees and scribes in our text this morning. This scene is easy for us to picture because of some of the, the catchwords that Luke gives to us, like those words there at the end of verse 1, how Jesus was carefully watched. You know, this isn't some normal invitation to dinner. This is a setup, one of which many Jesus had to go through in his day-to-day -day ministry. They're trying to catch him at, at not holding up some scripture or failing to keep some law or some observance of the Sabbath. They're watching him and they place a diseased man in front of him. And just like many other occasions, Jesus sees through their plan and right into their hearts. And that's why he asks the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Jesus, we can tell from Scripture, sort of despised the traditions, the, the human traditions that the scribes and Pharisees had woven into God's law over time. Basically, Jesus looked on the Sabbath as a day to worship God and as a day to praise God for His goodness. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. By healing the man, he argues that to leave a human being uncured who could be cured would not heighten but rather destroy the praise of God. Of course, he knows that by healing him, he'll incriminate himself with these Jewish leaders. There'll be more accusations, more persecution, but Jesus is true to himself and heals him anyway. And as we think about what he did, we realize that few of us 
have the grace to do the right thing under disapproving eyes. And fewer still to serve others when the only reward will be slander and persecution and prejudice. But we can manage to do the right kind of thing in those types of situations because of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's part of what the Spirit is here to do, to empower us to carry out the will of God in any given situation. And like Jesus Himself, we can love the truth and believe in self-sacrificing love more than we fear the consequences of carrying out that type of love in our daily lives. And this is what Jesus is trying to get them to see both by his question about pulling an ox out of a well and by his words to the host concerning hospitality. In other words, Jesus is trying to get them and us to see that love should be the motive for all that we do in our day-to-day living. Not pride, not prejudice, not anger, not something that we might get out of it or anything else but love. And he describes the pride aspect when he talks about going to a wedding feast and how some people choose automatically the places of honor. And of course his point there is that they choose those places of honor because they're trying to get themselves noticed favorably and in the process possibly put someone else down. And Jesus says that's the wrong way to live. He says, when you're invited, take the lowest seat in the house. Why? Because those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, that's a spiritual principle in life that we're supposed to put into practice as much as we're able each and every day. Paul elaborates on this in Philippians 2 where he talks about Jesus and how Jesus, you know, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And therefore, he says, God has highly exalted him. It's the same spiritual principle. That's why Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that in humility we are to count others better than ourselves. This is the same teaching. It's the exact teaching that Jesus is giving here in Luke 14. And then Jesus goes on in verses 12 through 14 to explain what he means in terms that his host can really understand because just like us, you know, people in Palestine, they had their dinner and party guest lists. And you know, there are certain people we invite and certain people we don't invite. Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, Don't invite your friends, your your relatives, your brothers, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and, and you'll be repaid. It's like he's saying that'll be the end of it. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor. Invite the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because even though they can't repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And because of the way this passage ends right there, talking about 
repayment at the resurrection of the righteous, we tend to key on that idea too much. We, we tend to let it color the whole passage to the extent that we think Jesus is telling us to do this so that we'll receive the right reward. And obviously reward, you know, does enter into it. I mean, that's the word Jesus chooses to use. He never qualifies or apologizes for the Jewish doctrine of reward. But at the same time, what we need to understand is that reward, pure and simple, is not Jesus' appeal here. In other words, Jesus is not telling the Pharisees to invite the the blind and the lame and the crippled so that in the end they'll receive a reward or some kind of material gain, but rather He's appealing to humanity's faith that the principle of sacrificial love will be vindicated. Now listen to that again, that the principle of sacrificial love will be vindicated. That's why you invite those kinds of people. You see, that's the significant cause to which he's given his whole life, self-sacrificial love, love for the world. He's given his time, his compassion, his teaching, healing, all for love, and in the end, He'll give His life, His very life, on the cross for the same reason. And He wants us to see that that same love and and care for one another is what our lives are to be about as well. He calls us to the same faith to which He's calling these Jewish leaders in His day and time that the principle of His own self-sacrificial love on the cross will be vindicated. We are to believe that. That it will bring about grace and mercy and peace and forgiveness of sins for you and me. And the great thing about it all is that He models His very words unto us in the sense that He invites us to His banquet today, knowing full well that he can never be repaid. Because you see, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, Jesus is the host. It's like I tell you, every time we have communion, I stand down there and I say, this is the Lord's table. This table belongs to Jesus Christ. It's not the table of this church. He is the host. And just look around at who he's invited He's invited the blind. Those of us who fail to see God at work in our lives each day. When something great happens, we attribute it to ourselves, to our wonderful education, to our gifts and skills. We fail to see what God is doing in the world around us. We're blind. He invites the lame. Those of us who fail to walk the way that God wants us to walk each day. He invites the poor, those of us who who lack the things of the spiritual realm that truly would make us wealthy. He invites the crippled, those of us who are handicapped by prejudice and anger, by apathy and pride and so many other attitudes and characteristics of the world. 
You see the people that Jesus has invited are people like you and me. And we can never even begin to repay Him for His invitation. And yet He freely opens wide the door and says to each of us, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That's the good news of the gospel. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh God, we...